Good morning, Shelley. Good morning, Kat. How are you this morning? I am good, except for it's raining outside and I don't want to go to work. <laughs> you got to, yeah, well, we got like those big storms coming through today um, and for the next three days when I'm meant to be tomorrow, meant to be driving up and back to oh. like Newcastle. And then on Friday, I'm driving to Grafton and there's meant to be some crazy amount of water dumped up there. So, anyway, well, both of them. yeah, we'll see how we go. <laughs> All right. So today we thought we'd do something a little bit different is that we've been having all these cool people on our podcasts, learning about their lives and their thoughts and their insights and, and how they change the world and stuff like that. And, um, and we've got these really great set of interview questions that we use and we realized we actually haven't asked ourselves. So we thought we'd do a podcast where we actually run through some of those questions um, and we'll answer them ourselves. Perfect. I'm going to get you to start off this morning. So you get to start with your elevator story. Have fun. <laughs> okay. So our first question is like, what is your elevator story? And if people don't know what an elevator story is, you've got to imagine you're stuck in a lift with someone and you have just two minutes to tell them um, who you are and what you did. And it's what would you say? <laughs> I just said to Kat before we started, it's like, I thought about this. <laughs> okay, so. Everyone else do it and you don't practice yourself. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a crack. So my name is Shelley Appleton and I, uh, help people no actually that's not that's not the right word I teach people uh, how to help their horses become willing and confident I I do that by understanding how humans learn and um, setting them up to actually learn about horses and how to communicate with them and make really good decisions and um, training them because the horse really is a reflection of the person that's hanging on to the end of the lead rope or sitting in the saddle uh, so that's where I focus my attention and I have a lot of fun doing that because I feel I'm able to give people back the joy in their hobby um, and hobbies are important and special to people and uh, many times that can go a little bit pear-shaped so I love giving people back a sense of control with their horse and the joy in something they really love doing so that's my elevator story Ding. can you please <laughs> add to that your um, academic like learning that you've done before you've got here okay so I'm a pharmacist I try to start it off life as a career as a pharmacist and um and I spent you know over 23 years as an academic teaching university students uh pharmacy and I just rode wrote riding was my hobby <laughs> riding horses was my hobby um, in terms of my qualifications, though, I went on and did a master's of um, education because at the time, although I was a pharmacist, my university uh, and all universities around Australia got encouraged to have learning experts um, within each uh, discipline area. And I'd won a number of teaching awards, um, both within the university and referred to national level. And they decided that that was going to be my thing. So I started off doing a master's of uh, science education. And then I went on and did my PhD. My PhD is in teaching people how to critically think, which in this day and age is a pretty uh, interesting thing. So I, I worked out ways of how to, first of all, map someone's thinking about a particular topic and so uh, either listening or reading what they write I can I kind of map patterns and to show the the level of thinking that they're using 
and then also how I can, um, well, not manipulate, it's not the right word, or to encourage mm-hmm. them to, to actually think. Because inter- this, is long, this is longer than two minutes, Kat. <laughs> That's okay. This is the interesting stuff. Yeah, well, critical thinking, right, for people to think really rationally. The humans called, right, Aristotle labelled us the rational animal. Uh, that's actually not true. We're highly emotive. We're just very emotive. In fact, um, our emotions are way more powerful than our ability to rationally think. Um, however, we do have the ability to do it, but you need to learn how to do it. It's not something in us that naturally gets developed. Um, so you normally, you've got to learn how to critically think. You've not got to learn how to be rational and make decisions. Um, a school and universities are meant to actually teach that and um, like kind of grow that within individuals, but they're pretty bad at it. I was going to say, that's the question there. is how do they go with that? Yeah, well, there's a lot of criticisms about them and a lot of, they do a lot of talk that they do it and they focus on that, but whether they actually, and that's part of my research was like, well, you know, how good are they actually doing about what they actually, like what the education system or institutions are, you know, are actually saying they're doing and then seeing what I could do to actually make an impact on those things. Yeah, so um it was it was really good, and then it, it it's it's cool because it's a very generalized thing. So you can apply, I can apply what I understand about how humans think and make decisions very generally to to any issue or anything. So, and of course, horses are my interest and my absolute passion and obsession. That I love applying that kind of framework to learning about horsemanship and equitation and riding and stuff. Yeah, so that was my half an hour elevator story. Now I want to know about yours, Miss Kat. Okay, so I'm Catherine Christiesen and I'm a farrier based in Gippsland, Victoria. I'm about an hour out of Melbourne and I day-to-day work with horses and have a passion for working uh, one-on-one with owners as part of a team for soundness and performance. So I really enjoy working on horses owned by owners that I get to meet and see on a regular basis and check in with and work with them with vets and body workers in performance. So when it doesn't matter whether they're out at, at riders or they're competing eventing or dressage or I've got some Western Pleasure horses and some Rainers and I love all of it just people getting out there riding their horses enjoying their horses and being a part of that yeah cool yeah now you have some qualifications as well besides well actually no you should tell us about your your background education but also you also very much strive to learn more about your profession Okay, build yourself up because there's not many female farriers that put shoes on. I've always got to say that whenever I introduce you. Everyone thinks that I'm a barefooter, which is kind of where I started. But so I started off, headed out of school and went to uni and did a Bachelor of Animal and Veterinary Bioscience. Yeah, cool. With the plan of being a vet and then couldn't afford it. Life happened and I went off to have 
it was going to be a year off study so that I could work out what I wanted to do with my life. And I was just going to trim some horses in the meantime. And then that developed into a full-time business that I've been doing for six years now. Yeah. Is there any- um, yeah, go on. Yeah. Go so on. then I did the Australian Diploma of Equine Podiatherapy, yeah. which is a two-year diploma, full-time uh, trimming and rehabbing laminitis and that sort of thing. Yeah. And at the same time, I worked with an American lady, Daisy Bicking, where she specializes in laminitis rehab, reading x-rays and yeah, doing a lot of x-ray work and then looking at how we can identify the foot on the outside and know what's going on internally, Mm. which I absolutely loved that sort of stuff. And then from there, I then felt I had a massive gap in my knowledge. So I headed off to America to a shoeing school over there and I spent a couple of months living over there and learned to hot shoe horses and make shoes from scratch in the forge. Yeah. And then at the moment, I'm currently working on my Australian set for in Barry. That's really cool. So, when, okay, when you went to America, were there many there were many women over doing the so course? It was actually really crazy. We were the first class of all girls. No way! Oh, that's it really. Was, it was it was not what I was expecting. Yeah, and. I might edit this bit out, but I was actually really disappointed. Oh, you wanted to see other hot barriers. Uh, no, it's not that. It's that I want to be pushed and I want to be up against guys yeah, that okay. make me question that I'm not good enough. So I work my ass off harder. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Don't edit that out. Um, all right. So is there anything inside you that still burns to want to do vet or have you found your calling, do you think? Oh, no. Every about 12, 18 months, I have a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to like quit my whole business, throw it all up in the air and I'm going to move away and I'm going to study to be a vet because there's opportunities with that that are really, well, A, Farrier works really hard on my body. Yes. And I'm not convinced that it's going to be a long-term solution and I'm not going to break down and get really sore and those kinds of things where I feel like veterinary work I could do as I got older much easier. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And I love diagnostics, so x-rays and ultrasounds and working on performance horses from that sort yeah. of avenue really, really interests me. But it's also a big life commitment and a lot of money to spend. Yeah. go do it yeah that's true but I know you say that but Kat how old are you I am 26 yeah you see when you're 36 you realize that now you're a baby and like how long because you'd have would you do is there a postgrad bet course or something not like that? really oh maybe I couldn't know I'd have to look into it I haven't yeah. every time I've thought about going I've thought about going and living in Wagga with Heidi and doing five and a half years that's right you know and I know you think oh my god that seems like a long time but in 10 years time that won't be very long <laughs> like when I think about how long it took me to do all my study well my god I was still studying up until last year it kind of never stopped I nearly really yeah. never really had much of a year off between all the postgrad stuff that I've done yeah. 
but you know I could have finished my degree I don't know 20 times by now <laughs> you know like it just like time time goes you you finish it a lot quicker and you're actually yeah. very young so never because those kind of thoughts that you have you got to take really good care of your body and and that type of thing although I still believe there's lots of um, avenues and stuff like that for you to help horses feet and stuff without actually getting under them one day but yeah, yeah but don't lose that thought if you want to be a vet I say that to everybody so my advice right when I was a university lecturer I used to have to go off to you know careers fairs and open days and stuff like that and, and fly the flag and so I got to talk to a lot of young people about what they wanted to do and my advice changed over the years. So it used to be like, oh, no, you know, do pharmacy or do X or do Y because it's a really good job. You know, it's a good job. It'll be like a good foundation for you. You know, it also sets you up if you want to go and pursue something else in the future. You know, it allows, can facilitate that. But you just get this really good job, you know, for now. <laughs> and um, after a number of years, I stopped saying that because I, kept working with and also myself like I did pharmacy because my cousin did it because I didn't know what I wanted to do oh wow you know, because I wasn't because I went to school and I basically just got picked up with the belief that um, I was good at certain subjects academically and I should pursue the most kind of academic kind of line that took me into the most professional kind of role that I could and, and you make the most money and be yeah, set up for life yeah and so I was good at maths and science and things like that so of course and I was very good at chemistry and my so it was my cousin and she decided to do pharmacy a couple of years ahead of me so I just thought well that's I'm really good at chemistry <laughs> I'll go do that but the thing was I was really good at it but I didn't like it, but I didn't, it wasn't my love, you know, like I loved yeah. more art and writing stories. And of course I dropped all those things, those subjects, because they were things that you, that weren't serious careers and stuff like that. And that really, that really comes home to challenge you in your life because when you have a career, you've got to devote yourself to something like a lot of time, and if you aren't really into that, you see, I really wasn't into science or the chemistry or the maths. I made myself good at them because I was, because I'm a little agreeable creature that didn't want to let anyone down. So I worked out how to do these subjects. I wasn't, I wasn't naturally good at them. I made myself good at them. What yeah. I naturally good at was was and I don't was just the things I was interested in and that's not necessarily natural or whatever at all but I had a lot more fun doing art and writing stories and stuff like that so yeah I went off and did what was right and then every day you're doing this thing these this in this subject area that you're making yourself do um, and it gets taxing after a while and so yeah. my advice changed I used to ask the young people like, well, what, what do you enjoy? What do you love? What do you spend hours doing? <laughs> and then they, they'd kind of tell me about it. And they all had dreams of being something, but they, you know, so I'd say, go do that. Or they'd, have, they'd want to be something, but they believed they couldn't because they didn't have a high enough 
like ATAR or you know ATAR score and it's like don't worry about that man you work in university system that getting in from high school is just one avenue to get in yeah so many different ways of entry into university that school's just one of them it's kind of like a bit of a big kind of myth that's sold to 17 18 year olds that you've got to go to well six starts off at six in fact it starts off through the entire schooling system that you're only a successful person if you go and do your year 12 and you go straight to university which is the biggest goddamn myth um in the world and just really it's all about a very big business called higher education (laughs) that makes a lot of money and the whole schooling system as well so yeah, that if you're interested in something and you're you can dedicate a lot of time to working it out and being good at it, you you get there. Okay. So my advice change was like, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> you know, uh, and not only that, careers are change. Like there is no way that I would recommend anyone to be a pharmacist today because mm-hmm. artificial intelligence is going to wipe that off the list really quickly because a computer can do it, um, can do a big part of that job. So jobs are changing. And the jobs that are going to be around in five years don't actually exist at the moment. Yeah. So you need people with a lot of um, a lot of skills in adaptability and, and design and technology and a whole lot of interesting kind of paths to take. Yeah. Amazing. So there we go. Yeah. So anyway, don't give up on that dream. That's all I say. If it really keeps scratching, you can listen to it. And you're 26, for God's sake. <laughs> Wait till you're in your 40s like me. <laughs> oh, it's funny as you get older, you look at the people around you and you're like, they're not old anymore. I remember when I was little and people who were 16 were so old. Yeah, I know. I remember when I was I was about 27 and I got my first friend in their 60s and I adored them. And like that, she was older than my mother, you know, like, and... Yeah, and it was just really, it was that time when you just used to be friends with your age group and then you started getting friends with people that were a little bit younger than you and then a lot older than you. And, yeah, yeah, you you grow up and you level up to to people. Then you become a fully-fledged adult and be friends with anyone. (laughs) So cool. All right, now, what about our favourite questions? So we're going through our questions here and we have... The favorite question, which tends to be even our guests can tend to think it's their kind of favorite question as well. It's what frustrates you most about the equestrian world? So, Kat, what frustrates you most about the equestrian world? Um, I I wouldn't know where to start with this one. I, I when we were talking about it earlier, I had answers for other ones, but what frustrates me the most about the equestrian world? I, I might have to use my answer for the other one is people who don't ride their horses. Yeah. I like if you're gonna spend, it might be the student and me, but if you're gonna spend your money on buying a horse, keeping a horse, feeding a horse, looking after it to the level where its needs are met, why don't you enjoy them? Why don't you pull them out of the paddock and go for a ride? And if you're not like, I don't mind if you're not, as long as the reason that's stopping you isn't because you're scared of it. Yeah, that's mostly that's mostly what it is. Yeah. Um, it can be a combination of 
I well, this is what I believe. This is my two cents worth on that. Why people don't ride them? It's yeah, the big one is a lack of confidence. Okay, which is related to their sense of competence yeah. and their sense of trust that they have in the horse that's not being grown uh, or developed or built because there's no idea about that. Well, there's a lack of ability, like a lack of insight into that really across the board in everything, not just horses with people. Um, the other thing is I think people are time poor. I don't think yeah. they realise how much and their time might be spent just that they've got enough to feed it and rug it and that's it because they've got busy lives. Um, also is just general stress in life of, you know, well, you know, look at you. We finished podcast last night and you were off sitting on your horse at 8.30. You went and rode. You still rode, but you rode late, you know, but you still yeah. did it. Okay, lots of other people, you know, and that, that requires massive, like you've created that habit within yourself over how long riding your horse every day. How long yeah. have you been doing trying to cultivate this habit within you? How long has that been going on for? Oh, years and years, but it's been happening for the last 12 months. Yeah, you've been really dedicated to cultivating that habit of riding your horse every day. But when you've got lots of stress on your mind and things like that and it's exhausting you, doing that, you know, if you've got kids or, you know, you've got a house you need to go and cook dinner for a family and, um, you know, And stuff like that adding that on to your list can sometimes break people so Absolutely. I think that's a, another reason yeah um yeah but I think also people don't necessarily so you don't have to if you don't have time you don't have to ride your horse but it's having those skills of being able to groundwork or do other things to at least give your horse some fitness and yeah. it's so good for their bodies like the more that they move, the better it is for their feet, the better it is for their muscles, the better it is for their mind. And I really struggle seeing horses sit in private paddocks yeah. with no interaction and then they don't get ridden or anything else either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's super duper unhealthy for horses, like kept in these small yards, you know, fed more than they need um, yeah. and just living a sedentary lifestyle kind of thing is not healthy for them at all not healthy so yeah and I know in the podcast we try to really promote the idea that you've got to work your horse to keep it healthy yeah yes it's an absolute need that if you've got this horse restrained in its movement and its social interaction and you're feeding it artificially and all that type of thing movement and physical exercise is just so important to that health of that the, the mental and physical and emotional health of that horse so yeah that little confidence challenge that I did of making people work their horse every day and the big changes well you know with Roger as well oh absolutely so Roger's really being transformed by working him every day like you're being able to do things on him that he just couldn't cope with before I was riding him down the road the other day. I know, I saw that. Months ago that I'd be able to ride him down the road, I would have told you oh, you were crazy. Yeah, yeah. But now he's just had that consistent work because he's got habits too now. He's got yeah. habits of like relating to you, listening to you and all the fitness and stuff with the kind of the physical um, injuries that you discovered were well, not injuries or physical problems that you found yeah. with him. You've been able to keep him fit enough that they're not, they're not, impacting so much on now on his ability to be able to do that yeah, yeah. so that's what frustrates you what frustrates you 
Oh, so many things. <laughs> I know. Look, and I suppose you're like, oh. I suppose, look, okay, so what is frustrating about the equestrian world is that it's full of humans and humans are, are, can be frustrating, but I don't find that frustrating. I find that fascinating, right? I, yeah. I understand them. I get it. I know that people can only see what they know to see or what they're kind of motivated to see or what they believe or want to believe and all the biases that are all wrapped around there. So yeah. I, I always get a little bit upset when people have a big crack at certain people for being evil and horrible and doing awful practices and, and having a big crack, you know, because, you know, everyone's really only doing the best they can. And I really, yeah. that's, that's absolutely true. And um and I stand by that and I respect that. And my job is to expand what people can see and do. Yeah. That's my job. And by understanding them really well on that kind of cognitive learning level is that it kind of gives me an edge to be able to help people. However, what I suppose you think what frustrates me the most is people's, when you're working with someone and the horse to me is unsound they got problems with the yep. horse and they're either riding on or doing some groundwork and the horse is not sound like they've got red flags coming out that this horse is not comfortable and it doesn't matter what I say or try to say it they will shut me down and tell me it's not yeah because they don't want to see it and yeah. that really is hard that's really hard um because you know I'll, I'll say things like you know, the horse will consistently not want to go forward. Horses don't not want to go forward. You know, if you're having to give it smacks every time, that means that the motivation to not go forward is just a little bit, little bit less than your whip smack. That's how significant it is for that horse. Or, you know, I can clearly see the horse appears foot sore, you know, because it's, it's shuffling or doing that quick movement off the ground and, and not rising and keeping their feet flat. You know, you can see it. And they'll just tell me that's not true or they had this person or that person out or the farrier only came five minutes ago and said the horse was fine and but they don't want to see it. And that's really, really hard because they're not believing something that is so significant to their success with their horse and really lies at the heart of their frustrations with their horse. Yet they won't listen. They won't, they will not accept that idea that I give them. And that's really, that's really frustrating you know, or they'll take the horse off to one massage person, you know, and the massage person said the horse was fine. And it's just like, oh my God, that's why I produce a lot of YouTube videos of cases that I come across where it has, the horse has been unsound. Because if you yeah. do really good training, you do really good training and, um, and you are consistent with that and you work your horse regularly and you do it, if the horse is still inconsistent, or not learning, or still anxious, or still doing something like terrible um, every now and then, that horse is has an unsoundness. And they don't have to be limping lame to be unsound. So it's very frustrating. In fact, I had a, it was so relieving on the weekend, I met this really lovely lady for the first time. And she came to me and she really approached working with me in the private session that we had so well. Okay, she came in with a horse. She didn't have the horse tacked up. She just had the horse with, with Lee, Lee Rope. And she introduced the horse and said that she'd owned it for a number of years and had, had suffered terrible anxiety under saddle. 
and she, you know, she'd done all these things. She wanted my insights into, into the horse. And so we just started working, just doing some slow stuff. And it, but just from what she said, the horse, she'd said this, and this was a red flag. The horse does groundwork well, like a groundwork's well, but as soon as I put a saddle on and sit on her, the anxiety goes through the roof. Yeah. Right. Now that's a big red flag. Right. So she'd already said that to me with a big red flag. However, I'd locked that away and I just let her start going through some ex exercises. And at one point she said, because she was just getting the horse to do everything really, really slowly and quietly. Right. And I said, I said, why, you know, and she was kind of, we we're kind of talking about it. And she said, oh, well, I don't want to add anything to her anxiety. And it's like, no, 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 no. And so that was a red flag for it possibly being a training issue. Yeah. Right. Because if she was keeping everything real quiet for the horse, of course, if you added a little bit more pressure, the horse wasn't developing the coping mechanisms. <clears throat> anyway, so I locked that on that side. <laughs> anyway, and I, and I told her by this stage that she had some red flags for some, <clears throat> some physical things and some, and some potential training things. And she goes, I'm really glad you say that because she says, I've got my own ideas about this horse, but I'm just, just tell me what to do and then like, we'll, we'll have a look. And she put the horse online and we looked at it work online and it was kind of okay at trot, but I said, are you going to canter? And she was like, I don't normally canter in groundwork. And I was like, hmm, okay, well, show me. And the horse got very anxious and stuff like that. And just the way the horse moved, it wasn't moving right to me. It was moving with that low flat foot. So at one thing, I think, and its feet were tiny. It was this big, um, had a lot of quarter horse blood in it. It was this big, really well-muscled horse with these tiny yeah. little feet, right? Yeah. Anyway, I, I stopped her and we're having a, we, we talked again and she goes, well, I'm going to tell you what, I'm, what I've noticed, okay? She said, so since she'd watched my YouTube videos and it had tipped her off to thinking more of physical things and she started realising that she'd noticed some things about this horse. First of all, whenever she rugged the horse, the rug would always slip over to the right. Yeah. Okay, it would slip off to the right. She was always having to haul it back. It would always slip off that direction. And then one day she was sitting on the horse and she noticed that its shoulders were different. Now, this just wasn't different. When she pointed it out, it was like, holy moly. One shoulder was massively, and the neck was massively overdeveloped compared to the left. Like it was seriously like that, Yeah. like when it got pointed out. Anyway, so that was an owner that had started seeing some stuff because she'd been tipped off. Anyway, by the end of it, it was, you know, we'd gone through a number of tests. We saw that her walk went kind of lateral. Her walk gait changed with the, with the saddle on with her in it compared to her without it. Yeah, so there was a whole lot of red flags. This horse was indeed, this horse was unsound. And so that she was like this, yeah, that was a really cool person to work with because I could also see her skills were really good. Yes, she wasn't yeah. pushing the horse to go kind of, any faster or putting any pressure on it but she had good skills she delved into groundwork she got on and rode it in a halter you know and she was loose rein and she sat beautiful and you know like she was really trying and this mare was 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 anxious you know so that was that was such a good session to work with someone that was really open to that was really open to the fact that there might be something wrong with her horse 
instead. I sometimes go the other way. And I I think because you'd work with people that are trying to work their horses, where I go to people and they're convinced there's something unsound with the yeah. horse and so they just won't work it. Yeah. yeah. But that's the first place they go. And sometimes I get frustrated with that. But if you put a little bit more riding into them, we could work through some of these issues oh, that you've got. Yeah. Well, as I explained, right, that most horses with anxiety problems that come to me, the sheer most ones are just confused yeah. and they just find being worked by a human uncomfortable physically, mentally, and emotionally because they yeah. don't really understand and they're not necessarily motivated, even if they do to actually work because the person is so inconsistent and they're so unfit and they might be stiff because you are too if you only go do something really hard once in a blue moon as well or not consistently you know your comfort zone will shrink if you don't use it so that's most of the time right now some have a motivation issue because of discomfort and pain what I said that that category of of people and then there's the horses that have had their minds blown they've been they've had lost their confidence they might understand, they might have the motion, uh, the, the motivation to do it. Like they've had some good training, but the person has done something to them, which has broken the horse's trust in them, whether it be going from a pole to 80 centimetre jump too fast or, you know, taking them out on a cross-country experience or, or just doing something where they've blown the horse's mind and trust in some way or just been like, and I was, and this is what I learned that I did was just being a micromanaging task like hard-ass taskmaster like perfectionist that also makes horses lose trust because they're always told they're not good enough they're always being corrected always doing that and it's like working with someone that is perpetually not happy and not good enough not good enough not good enough and so those horses can lose their confidence and trust in being ridden and find it an ordeal so that's that's that and there's and then there's the percentage of the unsound horses yeah so yeah there there are there but it's just it's just trying you've got to work you've got to work the horse to actually discover which one of those are unless the horse is hopping lame or you press it and it recalls and it's really sore horses are so stoic sometimes it's a little bit tricky and you have to work through like a process of elimination yeah all right so that's what frustrates me Or tied into the same as yours, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So what should equestrians start doing today and why? What do you reckon, Kat? Ride their horses. Ride their horses? Yeah. Make Mom. the time. Stop making excuses. Find the time. And if you're saying that you want to do it, do it. And if you are saying you'd want to do it and you can't do it, then be accepting of that, but don't try and drag your horse out of the paddock once a fortnight yes. or once a month to work them or trail ride them if you can't give them any yeah. consistency. Yeah. And doesn't it have to be work the horse, start ride the horse, start working the horse, whether yeah. that be on the ground and then into the saddle. Um, my thing would be, would be, is connected to that absolutely, is get out there and start working with your horse. And this big red flag right and if the horse is not getting on with you or you're struggling and getting frustrated with it that's because you need to learn more yeah 
you need to learn the horse is telling you with brutal honesty that you need to learn more to help that horse become willing and confident in what you're asking it to do. And you can go blame the horse and the previous owner and this experience that had it. But regardless, it still means that you do not have the ability to help that horse. So you got to at least learn to help that horse because you're failing at it. So Mm -hmm. that's what I would say is listen to the horse. Horses do not lie. They tell you exactly how they feel and their behavior responds accordingly. So listen to it. If the horse is anxious or not doing something or being lazy or being some way towards you, it's because you've made it feel that way or you haven't been able to change its mind about how to feel that way. So learn more. Don't get kind of got to try not to get really hurt and confronted by that. It's like I wrote that little blog last week about how you know people do I think get confronted by the brutal honesty of horses and they're not used to we're not used to copying brutal honesty from people because we adjust when we've got to tell someone that they're kind of not doing something well we kind of pat around it and worry about their feelings and try to say it in a way that you know we, we we turn ourselves in loops trying not to be brutal honest and confronting but horses know they'll be brutal honest and confronting um, and bracy and difficult and anxious and potentially aggressive to let you know but that is a red flag that it's just you just got to know that and I you, you get to a point in your in your life with horses where now when I have a horse that just goes nope to me I go awesome this is something else to learn I've got to work you out and I'll become obsessed with that horse, you know, to try to work out what lessons this horse teaching me, you know, and there was a part of my, part of my time a number of years ago where I would go and hunt those horses that said no to me and I go find them. I wanted to know every horse that was bloody hard handed over. Let me unpick it because this was gold learning about this. Yeah. I do that at work sometimes. I'm like, can I just take it and groundwork it just a little bit, please? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's going bad though. Because then people are like, well, can you fix it now? And I'm like, oh, I don't have the time. <laughs> yeah, you should always have a spot. So my recommendation is if anyone, anyone out there that wants to get good at horses, and they might have got good at one horse, you know, that's not enough. You know, you gotta keep you gotta keep clocking those horses up under your belt. As I as I tell people who have a want to and a passion about learning how to help horses or train horses, I just say go and touch and work as many goddamn horses as possible. And, you know, kind of do uh, the greatest thing I did is that I would just take horses in, right? And I started my career just, as I said, I just tinkered. I was just like someone that tinkered around with any horse that wasn't locked behind a gate. I just go and ask people if I could take them for a while. And um, and I'd take them for nothing, you know, like I would just take them and play with them and people would just hand over these fucking rearing, angry, or even sometimes they were old horses that had retired and I would... And I would work out how to get them fitter again, 
you know. It can't how, be a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How could I get this 21-year-old, you know, ex-broodmare that hasn't been worked for 10 years to canter on the right lane, right rein or whatever that's never cantered on the right rein in its entire life? How can I teach this horse? How can I get it fit and supple enough to be able to consider choosing that lead? Or what's wrong with it, you know, picking through that? So that's what I always recommend is if you find one, take it. And so I did that for many years just hunting horses and playing around with them before I started doing this kind of professionally yeah okay what's our next question what are you currently curious about right now oh wow um <laughs> oh I have a lot of I have a lot of I have a lot of interest that I that I delve into um, I suppose I really got into, uh, well, the only thing is I'll, I'll say it's what I've kind of currently been looking at, but I've kind of gone down that rabbit hole and I've gone next. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just really delved into and had a lot of, got a really lot of good stuff about herd dynamics. Yeah. And that I was going to say, was it the stuff with the thoroughbreds? Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, with the, um, well, with any like oh, horse herd behavior and how you got to understand that we've got just a lot of theories about things you know it's people's observations and the theories that they kind of put together yeah and I really do enjoy reading Kerry Thomas in a guy in America who has his own theory of her dynamics can you do us a favor and send him a message and be like hey, oh, can you be on our podcast yeah, yeah 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 don't worry don't worry it's on my list of things to do we have to talk to this guy he's a real fascinating guy and he's yeah he's come up with this these observations that he then he sees horses as horses will have like a profile of their herd dynamics, you know, and how basically influenced they are by their environment, influenced by others, different senses, right? He maps it on like a number of levels and it's really absolutely fascinating and going down that rabbit hole has really given me appreciation for the differences and individual differences between horses, why some horses can cope with that or that, or being able to find out, well, no, to to be honest, I've noticed things about certain horses. I've noticed they're a bit more funny about noise or vision or things going this side or that side or a whole lot of things like that. And, um, or times of the day and smells and stuff of that, I suppose. And it kind of helps. So the observations that I that I've been clocking up in my and putting in my kind of memory banks kind of thing. It's it's what I hear about. It's kind of aligning with his theory kind of thing. So that's really interesting. So his stuff is is really good. And not only that, it tells you that you got a horse with a certain profile, and you have to improve that profile of that horse if you want it to work with you. Yeah. So you've got to improve its its ability to take in sensory information from the world and to cope with change. You've got to teach it because it naturally will have a certain way. Some of it's based on nurture. Some of it's based on, of course, it's genetics. Okay, it's nature. It's going to be set with a certain profile and then you can help improve that. Okay, and you've got to teach it to look to you to be that filter from the environment because basically his theory rides on the premise that horses outsource their their emotional processing their their sensory and emotional processing they look to others to go are we okay or should we get the hell out of here and where should we go 
right? So they, they naturally do that because they work as a herd. Same as a school of fish kind of work together and, a, yeah. and gazelles or sheep or cows or whatever, even us, you know, goodness me, we, we're no different. But, yeah, being able to create that and understand that, that hard wiring in the horse and what you have to do to, yeah, get that horse that looks to you during the change of environment and understanding how impacted they are by change and then working with you, seeing you, and then being able to calm down and do everything that that kind of happens naturally in a herd, but you've got to do it kind of artificially with your kind of relationship and connection to them. Yeah. So that's what I was I just kind of come out of that that rabbit hole and I've gone again I read a lot I read a lot and that is yes. something I think we did have a question about what would you what do you reckon if you could change you know something that people do what would you do and it's like this just goes generally in life I would get people to just start reading books yeah just read you can learn so much by reading just read just be interested interested in other people's stories and other people's thoughts because you get to see the world through other people's eyes and it gives yes. you more. Cause I said, you can only see what you know to see, yes. start listening to other people and start being able to see what they see. Yeah. And I think that that helps. So Kat, what about you? What are you curious about right now? Uh, I have probably been focused on like just study for my set four at the moment. Yeah. Um, doing practical like stuff, working in the forge and making shoes Mm. and then I avoid it because I really it's not my favorite thing in the world <laughs> working at the forge god I don't know how you built that steel and stuff like that Very it's not strong. too bad when it's hot but it's hot work and it's yeah. like exhausting at the end of the day um but I've been reading lots of books on like creating habits yeah and just lots of Brene Brown stuff on like what you were saying earlier about thinking that everyone's just doing the best that they can absolutely they are they really remind yourself of that when you're working with people all day yeah you do you got to keep you got to keep perspective on it and when you can take that step back and and have that when someone acts in a certain way if they can't you know there's things they can't see there's things they get triggered to feel defensive about you know you're dealing with people that have been poisoned by other people in their past about yeah, thoughts yeah. about themselves or or things like that you are going up you're going up against a lot of things you, you don't can't don't judge someone till you walked a mile in their shoes you can nearly understand it but if you can take a step back and you can see that and you can take that that that's coming from another it's more about them not about you or whatever yeah, yeah. And it just gives you that that whole thing of empathy you can kind of you can get develop that kind of thick skin or more patience or whatever to work with people be more and sometimes like being empathetic with people but still setting boundaries absolutely yeah and that yeah boundaries is massive oh my goodness. boundaries is is huge um and it's got to do the same with the horse as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the great thing about horses is they teach you how to like do so many other things in life. Like yeah. I can love you and still set boundaries with you. Yeah. And in fact, and then how much more happier? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, it is like you like, well, with horses, when they know clear boundaries and things are consistent, they, they really thrive in that environment. When it's inconsistent and they keep hitting the electric fence 
or electric fences sometimes there and sometimes not that's that's not cool for them um, that's something they can't kind of navigate consistently and therefore that makes them anxious um, and so they like having clear you know clear boundaries and people always get like this is really terrible and I always tell people at clinics that you know I've got to teach people to apply effective pressure because as I said, I don't like applying high pressure to a horse, okay? But this horse learns by, by physically creates a reality. And if, I, and if I can go in there and I can go bang, bang, okay? And that horse hits my electric fence doing something and it knows it's there, there's a good chance I never have to do that again. I just got to be- Get in and get out. Don't. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and teaching people that they have to do that and that it's not that horses, I don't go around beating up horses for no reason. It's for a distinct thing to teach them. And I think that leads back to we talked about doing a podcast on how you could create a dirty horse if you wanted to. And I think that's one of the important things is if you don't step in and set that strong boundary with them, then they yeah. push it and they can their behaviour becomes worse and worse. Yeah, and it does, and it's you breed negative thoughts and and stuff like that. Oh, I could I could go on because as you know, one of my one of my um, things that I'm up against in the world of trying to help people is that you got the different voices within the equestrian world, and there's a voice that says, you know, training should always be fun. <laughs> And they should always want to be there and yeah. they, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that all goes into the um, kind it of toxic feel happiness better. culture that yeah. goes on in the world. It's all kind of reflected within that, um, you know, that training should always be fun. Um, that's like saying life should always be fun, but it's not reality. You know, and it's like having kids, kids that should always be fun. School should always be fun. And no one ever says no to you. Yeah, no, it's very important to, yeah, nothing. It's not, not necessarily therefore give you a license to make it horrible, but no. it's like if everything you go on about is always fun, always fun, always fun, always fun, and then the vet comes and gives you a needle, or sticks you in a crush and grinds your teeth off, you know, that's a kind of a, that's a really significant difference. And if everything's yeah. fun, fun, as I said, horses like consistency. And when there's not, they can lose a lot. It's like, I'm not saying, it's just like you've got to set horses up for, for reality. And the other thing is, is that all living creatures are being prepared for struggle. Yeah. Not everything turns not everything that causes discomfort turns into trauma yeah turns into learning and if you can learn and you can navigate that's okay if living things were not programmed like that to cope with a whack where they learnt that they can't go there or or step over the top of you uh, they just lock that in it's learnt that's just becomes a rule and that's fine okay they don't go completely traumatized uh and then remember that their whole life of that moment that you hit them you horrible terrible human to them it's just like an objective thing that they yeah. can't step into that because that so they just know it's there horses don't stand in their paddock looking at their electric fences being terrified yeah. 
they know the fence is there and they'll eat right up to it. Yeah, when they first hit it, that was a bit scary. But then they get they work out the fence is reliable. It doesn't move. They can they can eat right up to it and it's all okay and they're fine. The only thing that happens is that thought of wanting to push through and get on the other side of their fence disappears. That's it. Yeah. So I spend a lot. There's that voice that I'm that I have to deal with that gets people into a lot of trouble. Um, that you know that horses are only responding to um, training that uses pressure. Like I use all types of training, including um, positive reinforcement and stuff like that. However, that belief that horses only responding um, to my pressure training because they're scared they know that there's a if they don't they're going to get something terrible is going to happen does not work like that like you don't walk walk around like there's this lady that keeps coming up in my um in my instagram feed and i've even taken screenshots of her latest one right because she's someone that really advocates the terribleness of pressure training and and it actually just shows her ignorance of it she's the equivalent of a of a horsemanship trainer that goes and tells the positive reinforcement people are just bribing their horse and their horses are all sport brats it's the it's it's the positive reinforcement equivalent of that yeah you know and she goes on that the horses if you use pressure and and that kind of thing they're just they're only doing it they're only um they're only doing what they're what they're told because they're they're they feel threatened right and it's like right so when you um when you go and you work your stove at night, when you're cooking something, do you spend the whole time being traumatized that you might get burnt? No, no, because you got burnt once when you were little. You worked out that you don't put your hand on the hot plate when it's hot. You don't stand there looking at it going, oh, geez, can't touch that hot plate. Be careful, oh, that one. It's going to jump no. out and get me. You don't. When you learn to walk, you don't walk every step going, oh, my God, I could fall over. Oh, my God, I could fall over and hurt myself. Oh, my God, I could fall over and hurt myself. Because you learn to walk. You learn to, to navigate that and all the other things in life, like driving a car. You don't drive a car going, oh, my God, I could, if I don't turn this corner properly, I could die. You don't think that. You just turn the corner properly. It's, it's like, wow, <laughs> if, if everything that made you uncomfortable or sore or scared or whatever in your life remained like that, you'd be a nervous goddamn wreck. And that's not how nature's designed us. Yeah. It's designed us to be a resilient learning creature that learns to navigate environment. And once that's learned, it puts that kind of learning experience away. Trauma comes from when, when lessons can't be learned. When it's just random kind of abuse that doesn't make any sense and you can't navigate it. That's what's up. That's trauma. That's what causes post-traumatic stress or chronic stress disorders, not growth. Okay. Most, most trauma leads to growth, like positive things. So yeah, I could go on about that. We could do a whole podcast of me ranting about the, ranting about the voices out there. You know, the two voices about, you know, having to, you know, show your horse who's boss kind of crap. (laughs) And then the, you know, training should always be super fun and don't hurt your horse and and that kind of thing. It's just, yeah, they're both voices that that pull people, that really do pull people in different directions. Yeah. I am going to have to finish up here because I do need to head to work. 
Oh, damn you. I no know. worries. <laughs> That's fine. It's been good to chat. And this has been our first Zoom. Um, oh, my gosh. It's been good. That requires to get out of our pajamas to do um, <laughs> to do a podcast if only people knew. <laughs> That's our secret. You're not meant to tell everyone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, you have a good day at work and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day. See you, Kat. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Candor Therapy. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure you leave a rating and a review where you're listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find us on Facebook, we're at Candor Therapy Podcast. You can find Shelley on Facebook at Dr. Shelley Appleton, Horse Training Coach, or she has a fantastic group called Calm, Willing, Confident Horses, where she's been doing weekly lives. If you'd like to find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm at Forenza Park. Have an amazing week, guys, and make sure you hug your ponies.